You know, some years ago, the director, Woody Allen, was this bright star in the firmament. Lots of people said he was a genius. Famous actors who could command huge sums to perform in films would perform in his films for nothing because they wanted to work with this great director. And so he was, he was celebrated everywhere, I suppose. In fact, when I was a young man, if you were cool, you were supposed to like Woody Allen. So, of course, I liked Woody Allen. I didn't understand him. He was kind of weird, but I wanted to be cool, so I liked Woody Allen. So he had a prominent place until one day, one day he fell in the eyes of the public. Do you remember what happened? Woody Allen took up with his stepdaughter, eventually began living with her, and eventually actually married her. People saw that and they thought, what are you doing? It, it repulsed many people. The people who celebrated him wanted nothing to do with him. And over the years, he has given various explanations for what he did, lots of reasons why it was really okay. But most of them came back to a famous line he delivered many years ago. Why in the world would you do such a thing? Woody Allen said, the heart wants what it wants. The heart wants what it wants. There's this yearning that you don't control, this desire that's not something you can simply quench. It's this, this yearning that is authentic, that to find happiness you must yield yourself to. The heart wants what it wants. Now, you might say that's a terrible excuse. That is no excuse. But you know, in our society, we have other expressions that are not, all, are not all that different. Let me give you one. Love is love. You've heard it? Love is love. That's the slogan that justifies any kind of relationship, any kind of behavior, if it comes out of love, because the assumption is that love doesn't need any justification. Love is a good thing. All love is a good thing. Love is love. So get off the case of everyone else and just let everyone love as they love. And so that's pretty much the common idea today in so many parts of our culture. And that's what I've really been talking about in one way or another for three weeks, now four weeks here at First Woodway. Love is love. But what if, what if sin has entered our souls so that our love is no longer a reliable guide to the good life? What if God has created us with intent, that is, with a purpose in mind, a certain form of life that he knows will lead to our everlasting good. What if he created us that way, but because of sin, we're bent to go the opposite direction? What if that were the case? Then love is not always a good thing, or at least love has to be very carefully calibrated to what God commands, because God has given commands. We speak sometimes of Torah, T 
taken over into English as law. But Torah really means something like instruction. And in the scriptures, we have God's instructions, God's owner's manual. How are we to live our lives well? How are we to find ultimate well-being? God tells us. God tells us right there. You know, some years ago, I dragged myself out of the house on early on a Saturday morning, summertime. Had to get out early before it got hot because I needed to mow the yard and edge by the driveway and sidewalk. So I got my can of gasoline, poured it into the mower, and I pushed it and mowed all the grass, and now I need to do the trimming. So I reach for the other can of gasoline, the one that has both gas and oil for my two-cycle engine weed eater. Or at least I thought I reached for that gas tank or can. What I actually did was I reached for the one with plain old gasoline in it. Some of you moan because you know where this is going, right? I poured the gas in in my trimmer. Sometimes when I would pull the first time or two, it wouldn't start. But this time, this time it started and it started with a roar. And I thought, wow, this is good. Good power. Within a minute, within a minute, it shut down. It locked up. That engine was burned to a crisp and I could never use it again. See, the owner's manual tells you, you got to have the oil in the gas to lubricate that engine. Now, when I put the regular gas in it, it seemed to work great. In fact, it seemed to work better than it normally did, but it destroyed it. And of course, the owner's manual told me all about it, told me what would happen, but I didn't pay any attention. Now, let's suppose, let's suppose it wasn't just that I was careless and sort of dumb. Let's suppose I was stubborn. Let's suppose I said, well, I know what the owner's manual says, but come on, gas is gas. And I pour it in thinking that all will be well. And at first, vroom, I mean, it works great. I'm satisfied with how it works. It's only later it's only later, not all that long later, that I find out it doesn't work quite like I thought. See, if I violate God's Torah, God's instructions, then I am violating my own nature, my own humanity. That's why God creating us as he does gives us commandments so we know how to live. Too many people think if they love something or someone, and by love I mean love, desire, yearn for, because that's what we mean when we talk about love. There's this, this reaching out when we love someone or something. And so it's love that moves us to act, all right? So there are lots of people that think I can just you know, love any way, but it doesn't turn out the way I hope. Now, the Bible makes it very clear that this is the case. And in fact, in the history of theology, theologians often speak about sin as disordered love. In other words, it isn't enough to love. We must love the right thing 
in the right way to the right degree. Love has to be ordered. Our yearnings have to be ordered. If they get disordered, I can do terrible things in the name of love and foolish things in the name of love. I have to attend to what God teaches so that I can live a good life. Having this this deep yearning, that doesn't count as living a good life. I have to order it rightly. So let me read to you a couple of scriptures. First, Matthew 22. Listen to what Jesus says. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. In other words, if you're going to obey God's commands... You do it by loving God with your whole being, first and foremost, and then loving others as yourself. But you notice the hierarchy that's established now. It's not simply love is love. It's love for God must be supreme. And if it is not, it's as if you take the sun out of the solar system and all the planets just start plunging through space. Everything has to be ordered around God. That's what Jesus is teaching here. So if I want to fulfill the will of God, it begins with loving God first and foremost. Then I love others as myself. That doesn't mean I necessarily like others. It means that I want the best for them just like I want the best for myself. I don't even like myself sometimes, but I always want the best for myself. So in the same way, I want the best for others. To love others as I love myself means to love them in the sense that I want the best for them. And I can't, I can't want the best for them if I want something other than what God has designed them for. And the same, of course, goes for me. Then in Romans chapter 13, listen to what Paul says about that love for others. He says, the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Love fulfills Torah. Love fulfills God's instructions. But notice, not just any love, but the love that is conforming to the order established by God. Therefore, this love does not make room for adultery. Think about that for a minute. Should you love someone else's spouse? Yes. But how do you love them? And to what degree do you love them? You are to love them, but not as if they were your spouse. That is adultery, at least adultery of the heart. And you are not to love them supremely. That is idolatry. And so Paul says, we fulfill the law by loving others as ourselves, but it's all in the context of submitting to God's purpose and God's will. Let me read to you another passage, 1 John chapter 2. Do not love the world 
or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Now we see that when we're talking about love, there's a stark choice that has to be made. The choice between God, who we are to love supremely above everything else, love for God, and love for the world and the things of this world. And of course, John specifies what he's talking about, the lust of the flesh, that is all the things that we want as physical beings in this world. The lust of the eyes, talking about covetousness, the pride of life. That's where we wanna elevate ourselves above other people, to prove ourselves, to establish ourselves as somehow better than others. All of that, he says, all of that is contrary to God. So there has to be a choice. Do you love God or do you love the world? Love is love? Not hardly. Not hardly. There is a love that is rightly ordered, that loves the right things in the right way to the right degree. And there is a love that loves the wrong things in the wrong way, even if it might be the right thing, and to the wrong degree. And a choice has to be made. And what John tells us is you make that choice, and it's very clear that if you make the choice for God, you live forever. There's great blessing with aligning your life with the will of God. There's great blessing, but there's no blessing to set yourself against God. Instead, in the end, you perish. That's what the Bible says. Now, it may not be obvious all at once. Vroom! The engine starts up, and it seems so right and so good. A person can even be relieved. I am so glad I threw off all those rules. They're so oppressive. So glad that I can just be my authentic self. But the truth is, to live in disordered love, that's not your authentic self, that's your false self. Your authentic self is to be the person God has created you to be. To live contrary to God is for us to submit to slavery, and that's what we so often experience. Let's face it, we, we're not in control of our loves, our desires, our yearnings, what we treasure. In, it really, it, it almost chooses us rather than we choose it. See, some people think that when you're talking about sin, it's all a matter of just making cold-blooded choices. Choose to sin, choose not to sin. It's not that. It's not that. It's deeper than that. And so we find ourselves yearning for that which is wrong, and yet it feels so right to us. Wanting something that is wrong, that will destroy us, and yet it feels so authentic but then we can't do it with a good conscience because we're creating the image of God. And though we may have had sin come into our souls and warp everything, we are still not thoroughly, completely evil beings. 
We're created good by the good God. And so we still have a conscience and we're torn inside. We're torn inside. Let me read to you one other passage here. I'm going to read it. It's from John chapter 7, but I'm going, or rather Romans chapter 7, but I'm going to read it from the J.B. Phillips translation, and I'm, I'm skipping some verses just to keep the flow of thought. You know how Paul can write sometimes where it is, it is so dense that some, it can be hard to follow unless you read it several times. I don't have time to read it several times. So I want to read to you this fairly free translation of it and see if this doesn't speak to your life situation. Paul says, my own behavior baffles me, for I find myself not doing what I really want to do, but doing what I really loathe. Yet surely if I do things that I really don't want to do, I am admitting that I really agree with the law. But it cannot be said that I am doing them at all. It must be sin that has made its home in my nature. I often find that I have the will to do good, but not the power. This is in continual conflict with my conscious attitude and makes me an unwilling prisoner to the law of sin and death. In my mind, I am God's willing servant. But in my own nature, I am bound fast, as I say, to the law of sin and death. It is an agonizing situation. And who on earth can set me free from the clutches of my sinful nature? I thank God there is a way out through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now see, Paul's words are meant to describe the human condition. He's not speaking of himself, or at least not exclusively of himself. He's he's standing in the place of the prototypical human being and, and what we experience as human beings, fallen human beings in a fallen world. And he describes it, and I don't know about you, but it describes me how many times have I had to say, I do what I don't want to do. The very thing I want to do, I don't have the power to get there. What all that says is that our love is truly disordered and it's a heart condition. The fact that I feel something strongly, the fact that I want something strongly, the fact that it feels natural to me means nothing except that sin has gotten a hold of me. And so the gospel is Jesus Christ has come to set us free from sin. He hasn't come to remove every burden in your life so that you can blossom as the wonderful person you are. He's come to bring forgiveness and new life so that we can blossom into the kind of people God wants us to be. But that means means our lives must be rightly ordered, loving the right thing in the right way to the right degree. Paul says in the last, or rather the first verse of chapter eight, listen to this. No condemnation now hangs over the head of those who are in Jesus Christ. For the new spiritual principle of life in Christ lifts me out of the old vicious circle of sin and death. What he's saying is this. 
if you are a Christian, if you've come to Christ, this, this state of inner turmoil and being split in two, if you have come to Christ, the bondage in which you have lived is broken. There is a new spiritual principle of life within you. Your heart that has been bent towards sin is bent towards sin no longer. You have been saved and you're in the process of being healed because the word salvation in Greek means, among other things, to be healed. And so there is a process going on that will be complete when the end comes and we're in the presence of God. In the meantime, there's still some battle here. And here's why. Remember what I talked about last week. We're creating the image of God. We've fallen into sin. There's a bet towards sin, but there's also our physical nature, right? There's our weakness. See, we still have the old brain. We still have the old bodies. And so the beliefs and the habits and the tendencies that have become, if I put it this way, ingrained in our very bodies those things are still present. Paul talks about, for Christians, having sin in their members. He's talking about the members of the body. We have, we have these habits and ways of life that have to be unlearned. But here's the thing. If you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit has come to dwell inside you. There is a new principle of life. The bondage has been broken. You are no longer destined to sin and die but instead to live. So it's all about learning or rather relearning what God would have us know. It means entering in prayerfully to study scripture and let scripture teach us. It means having relationship where others can encourage us and we can encourage them. It means being a disciple of Jesus. That's a process, there's going to be a battle. I don't know where some Christians get the idea that there is no battle. That's not the case, we do struggle. And sometimes we find ourselves saying, I do what I do not want to do. But, but a change has taken place and if you will seek Jesus and hold fast to Jesus, he will not fail you. He will take you step by step to get you to a better place. But if you don't know Jesus, then that, that principle of life, as Paul puts it, has not entered into your soul. Instead, you are still bound by your disordered desires. You cannot overcome them. You might be able to switch one desire for another, but you are unable to live for God because you, like every human being, have been enslaved to sin. So what God does is instead of turning from us, God turns to us and he sends Christ to save us. What a gracious gift on God's part. He sends Christ and Christ bears our sin on himself on the cross so we can be saved. And when we don't have time for God years on end, God does not give up on us. Sometimes I think, where's God's pride? He's willing to just wait and wait and wait while we think we're too good for him. 
But God is so good, he turns to us and he has mercy on us and he forgives us and he can change us on the inside. And that's what the gospel offers. That's what the gospel offers. And so this is the human condition and the gospel is the antidote to what ails the human person. There is no sorrow, there is no sin that heaven can't cure. That's the truth. That's the truth. Some time ago, um, there was a woman in my office, and she had lots of, lots of problems, and, and she was on lots of medications. I mean, there was a heart condition. She was on a medication for that. Um, she had arthritis. She was on medication for that. I seem to remember she, maybe she had gout. She was on medication for that. She was on an antidepressant. Um, she was actually on an antipsychotic as well. She was on lots of different medications. I don't remember exactly, but it seems to me there are like eight or nine different medications. She couldn't even hardly focus while we talked. I mean, she couldn't even hardly carry on a conversation. It was, it was that many medications. And her life, as you might imagine, had just gotten out of kilter. Now, I don't know how she got so many pills. I suspect she went to different doctors over a period of time and, and just accumulated all of this. Each one was meant to solve her problem, but it didn't solve her problem, and now it become a problem in itself. Do you know what I told her to do? I said, listen, I'm not sure what the path forward is going to be long term, but what I want you to do right now, you must do this. I want you to go to your GP. Go to your doctor. Tell them everything you're taking and let them assess the whole picture and help guide you with all your health needs going forward. I mean, I sure wasn't going to say, oh, that's too many medications, stop taking them. Oh, how foolish would that be, right? And she shouldn't say, oh, you know, I don't need this and just throw them away. Go to your GP and put yourself in his or her hands. Put yourself under his or her care. If your life is out of kilter, and you've got these desires and longings and loves that have you going different directions and what it leads to is moral chaos and it's not working for you and maybe it's gotten really, really bad, what I'd say to you is go to Jesus Christ and put yourself under his care. Just put yourself under his care. You don't know what to do next. I don't know what you should do next except to put yourself under the care of the one the Bible calls the great physician, the one who is able to heal our souls. I already told you, salvation means, among other things, healing. He's able to heal your life, order your loves, and put things back together. Ultimately, and I'm closing on this, but ultimately what's happened in our culture is, is people, people find it hard to overcome things in their lives and they have these, these loves and desires and, and they think, I've had it as long as I can remember and I can't change it. 
And so they make peace with it. They adapt to it. Maybe the problem is that I'm really okay and that all these demands being put on me, they're wrong. But no, the problem is you're in despair. The problem is you're in despair. You don't realize that Jesus Christ came so that change can happen in your life. Not instantly, not easily, and I'm going to have a lot to say about that in the next few weeks on just what that means. But don't give up. Don't give up. Don't make peace with your chains. God wants to save you. He really does. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, our prayer is that you would work in each one of our lives Free us from the things that bind us, including and especially, Lord, disordered love. You, Lord, Lord, you know how often we desire the very things that, that lead us from you. And you know how strong those desires can be. They can be sometimes so persistent and so deep that it simply feels like us. But Lord, in a sense, it's not us at all. It's sin in us. We, we ask your forgiveness. We ask for your power. For every Christian here, Lord, lead us to deep and persistent discipleship that we might follow you in holiness. And Lord, for any here who don't know you as Savior, would you draw them by your spirit? Give them the courage, Lord, to place themselves under your care and then set them free in your grace. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.